I am an unkind person. Um, that is hardly a confession that we hear. I'm not making it. I mean, I am unkind, but I'm not making that confession. Um, for the most part, everyone believes at some level themselves to be kind. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way, The real trouble is that kindness is a quality fatally easy to attribute to ourselves on quite inadequate grounds. Everyone feels benevolent if nothing happens to be annoying him at the moment. <laughs> Thus a man easily comes to console himself for all his other vices by a conviction that his heart's in the right place and he wouldn't hurt a fly, though in fact he has never made the slightest sacrifice for a fellow creature. So I am an unkind person. What about your church is well known for its kindness? I wonder if we ever hear that. I wonder if it's even something on our list of aspirations that we would want to hear. If one was to get the general impression of how people outside the church view the church in regard to kindness in our country, you might not be surprised to hear that kindness is not on its list of first descriptors. Barna Research asked non-Christians what they associated with the evangelical Christian, and hands down, the first responses were what they associate with evangelicalism is conservatism. And they said in two ways. Theologically, yes, that got 38%, but also uh, politically got about 36 to 37%. The third top answer was narrow-minded. <laughs> Things like caring, hopeful, generous, friendly, none of those scored in double digits. All under 10% of responders said they viewed the church in that way. But maybe you're thinking, well, you know, what do you expect? Uh, they don't believe what we believe. Our values are radically different. Uh, they're antagonistic to our faith as much as our culture is antagonistic to our faith. And all of that is true, no doubt. It's true. It's just nothing new. This is not the first time in history that the culture has been antagonistic to the church. And yet, even when the church has been despised in history and viewed poorly, it was not always viewed, interestingly enough, as unkind. Uh, it would be hard to argue that the first century uh, Christians under the regime of Rome uh, had somehow a milder cultural climate for themselves. I mean, with all the lions and crucifixions and such, they might have an argument that their life was a little more difficult than our own. And yet a common name used of Christians during this period was Christanos, not Christanos, not Christians, but Christanos, the kind ones. And whether the world sees us this way or not, it is clear, biblically, that this is who we are called to be. We are called to be the kind ones. Well, the first thing we want to see this morning, then, is killing them with kindness. I and mean, this is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, like the rest, and therefore it is firmly grounded in God's own character and his nature. It is what God is like. God is kind. We see that kindness clearly on display in creation. All of creation is given. We haven't earned anything. But even more than that, God is kind to his creation. I mean, that psalm that we just sang, uh, that was played so beautifully. It says in Psalm, uh, the 13th verse, that last stanza that we sang, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind 
in all of his works. But we see it more prominently when we realize that though he is kind to all of his creatures, most of his creatures do not care about his kindness. They pay no mind to it. Paul tells us plainly that man has been riddled with ingratitude from the jump. When he talks about man's biggest problem in Romans 1, he gets to a list of sins that are all despised in our culture by by Christianity. But the first thing he says, you know what man's problem was? They were ungrateful because of the gifts of God, because they paid no minds to the gift of God's, the gift of God. So what does God do when his creatures show no appreciation for his kindness? I mean, what is his response? He shows them more kindness. I mean, Jesus teaches us, does he not, in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies and do good and lend and expect nothing in return and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Interesting. So what is kindness? Notice what Jesus says here. He says, do good and be generous to all. Expect nothing in return. That's getting us a good way down the road on what biblical kindness is. It's doing good. It's being useful, seeing a need and meeting it, whatever it may be. Doing good to other people. We see it even in the psalm that we've already quoted this morning. The Lord is faithful in all his word and kind in all his works. And then the psalmist says, here's how we know. Because he upholds those who are falling and he raises those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them what they need in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy every desire of every living thing. So notice, his kindness at one level, if you're bowed down, shows itself in compassion. His kindness, if you're in need, shows itself in provision. He does good according to the need that has presented itself. And he does it to those who just don't care. God has a generous orientation of heart towards the world. Even though they don't have one toward him. And though the Bible tells us very plainly that one day he will judge the wicked... That that patience that we talked about last week will at one day come to an end. Because he is slow to anger, he waits. But while he is waiting, he does them good. He shows kindness. And what's interesting, he does it in hopes of doing them more good. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 2. Do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and his patience... Don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So he's being kind and being kind and being kind, hoping that repentance will be the fruit so he can do even more kindness on top of the kindness already shown. Kindness does good from a heart intending good to those who do not care or appreciate the good that is done. And if God is kind to all creation, I mean, consider how much kinder he has been to us, his church. I mean, you're here today confessing the name of Christ because God was kind to you. I mean, you weren't looking for him. You were not uh, the one seeker out of many. He sought you and he found you and he's done good to you. And he's brought you to this place safely. As Paul says, when the kindness... And love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. 
And not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his tender mercy. So when we weren't looking for him, God was doing saving good to us because he saw us and he had compassion on us. He had compassionate mercy toward us. He saw your plight, and due to his compassionate nature, he entered into that plight, and he saved us from our sins. And from this, he calls us into his family where he continues to show us that kind of goodness, that kind of kindness. And that's what the psalmist says. He uses that word. We don't translate it this way. We translate it, taste and see that the Lord is good. But it literally is taste and see that the Lord is kind. Or, as the psalmist says in Psalm 103, like a father has compassion on his son, so the Lord is kind to those who fear him. And when we begin to walk with him, we notice that even that is his kindness. Jesus in his ministry called out and said, Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So he says, everyone who's worn out and stressed out and burnt out, if you're weary, if your life is heavy and hard and burdensome, he says, if that's you, come to me, and I will give you rest because my yoke is is easy, and listen, literally, my burden is kind. But he says, when you walk with me, I don't give you a, 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 an unnecessary burden. Everything I put into your life is meant for your good, and it's a kind and a gentle path. And for those of you who have lived long enough to have taken uh, the way of sin for real, you know, tested its limits... <laughs> Sin isn't kind. I mean, the way of rebellion is not kind. Uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil do not have your best interest in mind. And they seek to destroy and to hurt and to harm. And it is painful and burdensome and tiring. And Jesus says, come to me. Follow in my ways. I will be kind with the burden that I give to you. So notice we see kindness is this disposition of a compassionate goodwill that doesn't just stop with the disposition, but that it does good to the other. It sees them in their need and says, how can I meet that need? How can I be useful to them? And it does so even to those who just won't appreciate it. That's the uh, catch there, by the way. A part of kindness consists in loving people more than they deserve, said one author. And Paul says, this is now our calling. This is our way of life. This is who we are as bearers of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, when Paul wants to prove his apostleship uh, in 2 Corinthians, maybe we don't think of kindness as that big of a deal or, or that big of a banner over the Christian life. But in 2 Corinthians, where there's all these super apostles and people are wondering, I mean, Paul's not really that cool anymore. He was cool a few years ago, but, you know, he doesn't do all these big, uh, uh, you know, miracles. And his eloquence is pretty weak, you know. He stutters and does some weird stuff. And we have these super apostles among us. And Paul has to go and humble himself, prove his credentials to a church that he planted. And he says, you know how you know I'm an apostle? You want to know how I'm marked as an apostle? He says... I'm kind. That's how you know the Spirit of God resides in me, and I'm a true apostle. It's one of the things on his list. He tells the Colossians that as the Christian life, you're to clothe yourself. Wear the clothing 
of kindness. And of course, that kindness reflects God's own very heart. In Ephesians, he says, be kind to one another. And then he explains what it looks like, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. He says, this is how you're to treat one another. Be kind. And what that looks like is tender-hearted, right? You have this compassion toward one another, willing to overlook each other's faults. He says, you know why you should do that? Because that's the kind of kindness that God has shown you in Christ Jesus. Luther speaking on that text, uh, the text we, we spoke of earlier, uh, Titus chapter 3, when it says, you know, the kindness and love of God appeared for us. He says, Paul does not employ here that little word grace, but instead he describes the God of grace with two other pleasing words, kindness and love. The first in the Greek is krestos, friendliness, implying that friendly, lovable demeanor which makes the individual attractive and gives his society a gracious influence moving over everyone within its circle to love and affection. Such a one, the person who has this kind of kindness, is capable of bearing with all men. He's not inclined to neglect any or to repel any with harshness. In him, everyone may repose with confidence. All men can approach him. All men want to deal with him. He resembles Christ, whom the gospel portrays as always friendly to everyone, repelling none, but gracious to all. And the author of Hebrews encourages the church at the end of his epistle, outdo each other in being helpful and in showing kindness. He's like, you guys want to be competitive? Here, be competitive in this way. Outdo each other in who can be more kind in the community of the saints. We live in a world, I think, that you would agree that could use some kindness. And have you noticed, even on social media, how much traction any of these posts, you know, these restoring your faith in humanity posts get? You know, someone does something kind and it goes viral. Why? Because we're shocked it happens. It's so out of the ordinary. It's not something we're used to seeing. We're used to, you know, uh, the person screaming at the the man behind the counter or being frustrated with the service they've gotten uh, or, or, you know, fighting in traffic. And so when we see someone do something truly kind with no hope of reward, it really is shocking to us and attractive to us. You know, the person months ago, I read one where a lady paid for a parking ticket of a car that was parked out in front of a hospital. And the mother, who was actually in the hospital with her ailing child and had been admitted, not thinking she'd be admitted, came out to see a parking ticket stuck to her front windshield. And she opened up the ticket, and she saw that the envelope had already been opened. Inside was the ticket and a note, and said, I saw your car had a parking ticket on it. I'm sure whatever you were going through at the hospital was tough enough, so I paid for you, and I do hope things get better. To which this lady responded, I have no idea who this person is, but I have no way to show or to tell them how much I appreciate their support. Kindness is doing small goodnesses to all. 
Maybe you wonder, well, why? Why do it? Well, why does God do it? I mean, according to what we read, he does it based on his compassion, his mercy toward the weakness of men. And while he doesn't have his own weakness, for us, it's based on this common condition, this reality of our all sharing in humanity, and not just humanity, fallen humanity in a broken world, and hopefully stirring up in us enough empathy and compassion to see the plight of other people, and to be willing to feel just for a moment what they might be feeling. Ashley Yarone, who runs PB Jams, a restaurant in Oklahoma, specializing in peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I'm not sure that would make, that, make it here, but she has a thriving business selling peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. She said she was heartbroken when she noticed some of the rubbish bags containing discarded food in her bin had been torn open, the food removed, and eaten. She said it hurt me that someone had to do that. So she typed out a note addressed to the anonymous homeless person and pinned it to her restaurant window. It said, to the person going through our trash for their next meal, you're a human being. You're worth more than a meal from a dumpster. Please come in during operating hours for a classic PB&J, fresh veggies, and a cup of water at no charge and with no questions asked. When asked why she did it, she said, I think we've all been in that position where we needed someone's help. We just needed someone to extend that hand. And if I can be that one person to extend that hand to another human being, then I will definitely do it. Notice how she phrased it. You're a human being. We have this common connection. And while I may not be in your situation, I have your common plight and condition. And I can enter at least with a little bit of imagination what it must be like to be you. And so maybe for us, it's a cup of coffee in the morning for someone in our household, a cart or a kind word to someone who just can't seem to get it right, or a patient attitude for the employee dealing with the public all day and maybe isn't dealing kindly with you. I mean, kindness has its head up and its eyes open to find out ways to do good and is sourced in compassion for the other. And so if that's killing with kindness. Next thing we want to see is killing kindness. Notice, kindness does have opposites. Uh, Kindness has open eyes, and according to Scripture, it has an open hand, and in one sense, it has an open calendar. It's not so hemmed in to its, uh, you know, its schedule and its budget and its, you know, what life is supposed to hand it, that it can't look up and do something when a need arises. You know, how many of us, if we were in the Good Samaritan situation, wouldn't pass the person because we didn't care, it just wasn't fitting in the schedule. I had too many things to do. I didn't even notice them over there in such dire need. Sometimes our lack of kindness all comes down to what it will cost in time and energy and inconvenience. Kindness sees the downcast. And then considers its words. Or maybe to the point, kindness considers the jerk and also then considers its words in response. But there is such a thing as lack of kindness. It's tight-fisted. It's miserly. 
It's harsh and impatient and proud. It cannot understand how people just find themselves in that position. There's just no empathy and understanding how people can live like that. It doesn't think much about the other before it speaks. It just speaks its mind and tells the truth. Wonderful example of this comes from uh, Jeff Bezos' own autobiography where he talks about when he was 10 years old, already apparently pretty sharp, uh, and he was watching a TV commercial, and the commercial said that for every puff of a cigarette, you lose two minutes of your life. And so he quickly did the mental math, uh, and knowing that his grandmother had been a smoker for most of his life, uh, did the, uh, the, the math and then approached her uh, in the family room and told her, without any kind of veneer or kindness, that she had lost 16 years of her life because of smoking. And in telling his elderly grandmother this, it says she broke down in tears. And Bezos says his grandfather gently walked him outside. And he said to him, son, one day you will learn. It is much harder to be kind than to be clever. You see, what is the source of our unkindness? The Bible tells us pretty plainly it's because we're all curved inward. Our attention and our thoughts and, and all of our, our wants are turned into ourselves. It's hard to have our eyes up and see other people. It makes us unfeeling to the pain of others and blind to their needs. We refuse to sit in their seat or to walk in their shoes. And we are taught that this is exacerbated, biblically speaking, not because we only have an inward bent, but when we think with that inward bent that we're the right kind of people or that we somehow are one up on others or that we are uh, the good people and then the bad people exist over there. As Jesus taught in no uncertain terms, there were those that trusted in themselves that they are righteous, and notice, and therefore they despised others. You see, the self-perception of being better than and someone less than is a major cause of our cruelty, our impatience, our harshness, and our stinginess. It can be easy to hide behind that sort of cruelty because we cloak it in other things. We don't ever say we're being cruel. We're just, you know, wanting to let them know that's the way that things are supposed to be done. Or we just want everyone to know that we've worked for what we've had and so they should too. Or I just want to see things as they're supposed to be. I don't like all this imperfection. And so because we have this quest for noble excellence, it's okay that we cut people off at the knees or show them no quarter when they don't get it right. It becomes easy then to be frustrated with others and impatient with people who don't get it and refuse to help folks who should have just known better before they got themselves in that situation. We're so right that we can't be kind. And instead of normal care and compassion, we're too busy about, worried about scoring points and finding out who's wrong and who's right and who deserves to be treated with kindness. That we forget these words because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. But of course, not only is this disposition filled with pride... It's absent of kindness and thus absent from the spirit and the way of God in the world. And so as we close this morning, we see finally killed for kindness. 
I do have some news for you. Uh, you are not kind. Um, I opened with a confession that wasn't my own, but I'm going to make your confession for you. Uh, not in the way that the Bible calls us to kindness. You see, it's not too hard, well, at one level, to do good to those who do good to us. But God wants us to be like him and to be kind to the undeserving, the ill-deserving. And what is, I think, more damning and troubling is that even to those we love and like and live with, it's hard for us to be kind to them in the face of their unkindness and rudeness and thoughtlessness or selfishness or neediness or just lack of getting their act together. Or are these reasons that we use to explain anyway why we're allowed to act the way that we do? Now it becomes clear when we look at what biblical kindness requires that we fall far short of this standard. And that is indeed bad news, is that you are not kind. And that it's required. <laughs> but the good news is that God is kind. God is kind. And I wonder if that's how you view him. When you think of God, do you think of him as fundamentally kind? Is that where your mind runs to? Or is he more like you, keeping score and waiting for everyone to get their act together? He is a God that shows favor and accommodation to those who are needy. I mean, think of your best friend. Think of the person that would do anything that you needed if you needed it. If you got into that one bad spot, I hope you have a friend that would meet you there. That's the closest expression that you can find to the kindness of God, and it's not even close to the kindness that he displays. Don't you see his disposition toward you? I mean, how can you deny his kindness? I mean, his kindness led to his own death. He hasn't just been kind in how he's provided and the fact that you're even here living and breathing. He loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. He's so kind, as Paul said, that the kindness of God appeared. It put on human flesh to enter your condition. Talk about, you know, true compassion and empathy. He did walk in your shoes and walk in your ways, yet without sin. He suffered in every way such as you. But he never lost his cool. He never spoke an ill-timed word. He never repaid evil for evil. And he did it for you because he wanted to, because he had compassion on you, because he saw that you would not be as kind <laughs> as you need to be. He did it because you're not nice and you don't play nice sometimes. You care more about yourself than your neighbor. I mean, you care more about you than you do for your own kids. And knowing that can get you somewhere. Because who we think we are really is the key to kindness on this end of things. Who we think we are is the key to kindness. If you feel superior, superior you may show pity, but never compassion. You may show pity to those that are lower than you, but you'll never meet someone in their own pain saying, I get it, I'm like you. I have this common reality, this common, uh, these common passions with you. I mean, if you feel superior, you will never be kind. If you feel accused, 
you'll never be kind. You'll avoid those things that make you feel judged or less than. You'll be angered at those who come off as superior to you. You'll only be nice to those who make you feel nice about you. The scriptures say you must be kind. And you're not. <laughs> and thus you need a kind God. And you must believe that when you go to him with your tightwad heart, he isn't there stewing over your faults, weighing you to hang him over your head. He is who he is. And because he is, it gives you permission to join him in his kindness, to see the hurt of others and seek to mend it as those who hurt themselves, to see the weakness of others and to be patient knowing just how weak you are and how far you have fallen from the glory of God. Kindness lowers its expectations of everyone else and seeks to do them good, assuming that they need it. Assuming, even if their life looks good on the outside, that they're hurting and could use some help. Realizing that anger and accusation have never worked from the dawn of time. It didn't help you. It's not what saved you. It's coming to realize that we can see ourselves and others and approach them on that level close with an illustration and one more quote. Maybe you've seen the YouTube video, uh, Language Warning, if you go to watch it today. Uh, it's this guy uh, who bursts into what looks like a convenience store. Uh, it's clearly in the UK somewhere uh, because of the accent uh, and because of the store. They'd never get away with that around here. Uh, but he busts through the door and he is hot from the beginning. Uh, and someone in the store, has a bike that was his and was stolen from his home 10 days prior and he sees it parked out in the store and he busts through the door and you can tell the guy's been in a fight before because he busts through the door yelling before he sees the size of the person that has the bike. He doesn't care. Uh, so he doesn't seem like someone that's worried that this might become violent. And as he comes through the door, he says... Uh, Where'd you get that bike? And the guy's stammering, and he says, It's stolen from my house. You know it. He says, That's it. I'm calling the police right now. I'm calling the police, or you give it back. Those are your two choices. And the guy says, Well, you know, I, I didn't steal it. I paid 10 bucks for it, and the guy's not having it. He says, Those are your choices. Make your decision, man. And he says, uh, Well, I mean, I didn't mean to. I just needed to get it to work and back. And as soon as he says that, the gentleman who's angry, whose bike is, is his, he lets out a deep sigh and curses under his breath. He says, okay, man, I don't want to keep you from getting to work. I'm glad that you have a job. I want you to be able to get to work and back. But we've got to exchange numbers or something, man. Because, I mean, that's my bike. And we'll do something. I mean, I, I'm working on another bike right now, and I'll make sure either I'll get you this one or that one. We'll get you a bike because I know you're trying to do better. And so I don't want to make your life any harder. He then apologizes to him. I didn't mean to come in here yelling like that. Apologize to the store owner. Sorry for my language. Introduces himself, gives the man his phone number, and goes on. And as wonderful as that video it is, and it is, 
The comments under it are even better because it displays how desperately everyone needs and wants what is given. One person writes, this man's been through some stuff in his life. Compassion like this comes from experience. I hope that younger guy who had the bike learned something from that interaction. I hope he keeps this experience close to his heart. That original bike owner is a good man. Another person writes, that guy is the nicest person in the world, concerned for others, even though it's his stolen bike. It's good to know there's some good people still in the world. What a nice guy. He gets his bike stolen by some lowlife and he's willing to wait to take it back so the guy can get to work, apologizes to him and shakes his hand, is even considerate to the store owner about making a scene. One guy writes, he's a caring guy. You could tell he felt concerned as soon as he heard the guy needed it for work. And he says, my favorite part is when he looks at him and he says, it rides pretty well though, doesn't it? Before he goes. You see, when we consider our call to kindness, we see just how big God's kindness is. It's kind enough to put up with us. When time and time again he's come to us and yet we still respond to others in impatience and cruelty, miserliness, and pride. If the righteous are cruel as one author has written. There's good news for you because you are not righteous. And the more you see what this fruit of the Spirit requires, the more you will see how true that is. And the more you see how true that is, the closer you'll get to actually having a pathway to kindness. Knowing that you've received kindness and compassion when you didn't deserve it. God invites you into his life that you might go and give it away freely as it's been given to you. Let's pray.